This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Sooner or later, you have to enter the working world and get your first job. I'm not talking about bagging groceries or waiting tables. This is your first professional job, and that's what we're talking about today, our first jobs. Today's episode is brought to you with support from Kingspan Insulation. Hi everyone, I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today, we're talking about first jobs. It's pretty simple and straightforward. Your first architectural job is important. And I want to clarify that I'm not talking about summer jobs or internships. I know Andrew and I don't necessarily agree with this, but I don't think those really count. What I'm talking about is your first real job that you get once you graduate from college, how important that job is, and that that job signals the beginning of your professional career. I agree with that. What I say that they don't count is that they do count. Give them your effort. Do a good job. Don't take it lighthearted. But yeah, yes, I mean, they don't impact your overall career trajectory. Okay. I would agree. All right. There you go. Well, so we, we have different backgrounds. Our, you know, like we talked about earlier, we both only have, you only have one first job. That's right. Just one. So my first job. Your first job. Was with the small firm uh, that I actually ended up buying. Right. So I've had one job at one place and then I made it my own. So <laughs> my experience as far as first jobs go, I guess it turned out OK. I mean, I'm now the owner. I'm the president. So, you know, I guess that's OK. But it's a different sort of trajectory, I think, than some. That sounds dominant. Oh, yeah, sure. I own it. I you do own, own it. it. <laughs> and yours is a little bit different. Well, my fir- I've actually worked in every single job, but my first job was at a sole practitioner's office. And I was the first employee he had ever hired. And since it was just the two of us, a lot of the responsibility that I got was born from necessity. You know, despite the fact that I didn't know very much, I found myself drawing complete drawing packages by myself with like no supervision (laughs) within a couple of weeks. You know, it was good and bad, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. The work we were doing, granted, wasn't complicated. So I was able to pull out other sets and go. Figure it out. And go, this is how you lay out a drawing. I, yeah, I, mine, I mean, it was a small firm, but it had, he had been in business for almost 25 years by the time I started working there. So it wasn't like I was the first employee or the first hire or the only other person there. So even in that perspective, it's a little bit different than yours. Well, you know, and it might actually, that first experience I have might have fundamentally set the table for the opinion I have that you're going to hear throughout this entire episode. <laughs> Probably. Which is only fair. But I mean, it's true. I mean, mine will too. It's my first job. Between that and you talking to your peers at some point in that part of your career. Well, so when I looked at it, I met with clients really early on. I started doing billing. I mean, yeah, we kind of had the conversation. The the small firm was the out of necessity, jack of all trades, master of none kind of, you know. Yeah, you got to do it all. We're doing everything. You're more likely to have to do it all or get, get that thrust upon you for sure. Yeah, and I, I think some people would venture to say that that's almost the inch deep, mile wide versus the inch wide, mile deep that you get when you get to be a specialist, when you can focus in on something and, and really drill down and say, this thing that I'm good at, I'm great at because it's what I do, yeah. as opposed to, hey, after I do this wall section, I need to run to the store because I got to buy manila folders because I have to file away the paperwork for the billing and then... You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it, it, at, a, at a small firm, you've got more responsibilities in a way uh, to get different parts of things done, different parts of the profession. Whereas if you're in a you know 500-person firm, well, guess what? There's 499 other people that are taking care of the other things, and that way you can really uh, focus and drill down on that one specific thing to be a super-duper expert at. You know, yeah. it's funny. I had a, I have a friend of mine. He was a talented guy, and he came up to – Dallas after graduating we graduated at the same time and within like a year and a half he's working for a local firm here and all he did was lay out parking lots for site adapt big box store look you know like a very specific brand you know a chain oh yeah that's okay. all he did yeah. and just lay out the parking lots for this on different sites yeah so let's yeah. say you know I mean it was a very specific retailer I just want to sure. name it no yeah yeah this firm did all the side adapts, so they would do the packaging and the permitting and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But his job was to lay out the parking lot. 
And it's what he did. And it's like every day he showed up to work and he's like, man, I know. day I got a parking lot. I mean, he knew like how big drive aisles needed to be when you're at 30 degree parking, 45, 90 degree head in parking one way. Two I got the turning radiuses down. I'm, yeah. I'm there, man. Yeah. 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 One I, way, two way. Yeah. All, all that stuff. Throat I mean, depths. He, all he those knew things. All, he knew yeah. all that. Yeah. I'd have to go look that up. Yeah. And in fact, every time I do it, I got to go look it up because <laughs> I don't do it so often that I've like, I mean, I've got like Get the you. big ones committed to memory. Yeah. But if you say, hey, if it's a one way and you're parked at 30 degree angle, what's the driveline width? I mean, I'm pretty sure I know what it is here, but I'd be I'd be guessing. I'd still look it up because I'd want to make sure that I was right. Yeah. And at this day and age, though, with the side adapt thing, though, you'd have to figure it out for every single different jurisdiction you were in, man. Yeah. He was a master at that stuff. So it's a skill. He did that for a while and then he left and he went back to get his master's in business <laughs> administration. <laughs> I was going to say in, in urban planning parking lots. Yes. But, yeah, no. He's uh, like, you know what? And that's kind of the premise of what the show is. I mean, his first experience now, technically I don't think that was his first job, but that first experience you have the first professional job that you get is going to take you as a blank slate and what you think, you know, about what it's like to work somewhere, which I guess if we circle back to beginning, that's why internships have some value, which I never said they didn't have value. I just said they don't count as your first job because it's, it's, I'll give you that. It's got a shelf life to it. So yeah, you, sure, you know, it's temporary. You're, you're going to punt out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does say that you might get exposed to what working in a firm. Like, so when you show up at day one on your first professional job, you've at least been in the room before. Yeah. That's a good thing for an internship. And yeah, but I agree with you that the, your first nine to five, you know, first year of work has an impact on, how you view the profession and how you kind of view the whole process, right? Because whatever that, whatever's happening in that firm that you get involved with can positively or negatively affect you. Well, I think it, it also puts you possibly on your trajectory for your entire career. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. In a, I mean, in a broader sense, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Something else we, we were chatting about as we were yeah. kind of talking about this episode before we actually started recording was the idea that you might change jobs, but the number of people I know that start in a big firm and they kind of stay and they kind of evolve within that, that ecosystem is very, very high. And the people that I know that start off in small firms that stay in that ecosystem for their entire career is very, very high. I don't know a lot of people that have flip flopped between the two like big, little, big, little, big. I just don't know that many people that have done that. Yeah, that's interesting. I know plenty of people that have switched from one to the other. Like, I, it's funny. I don't know very many that have stayed in one. Hmm. Like of people that I know that I kind of well, maybe associate with it's that they go, they either go from big to small and stay in small, or they go from small to big and stay in big. But I agree there's not a lot of back and forth, big, small, big, small, big, well, small. Well, I, I would I would agree in the sense that, yes, I do know people that have gone from one to the other. In a certain sense, I was. Yeah. I started small. I went to a bigger firm, and then I came back to a smaller firm. Yeah. Because I learned that I go, I don't like, I, at the time, I was like, the big firm didn't suit me. Yeah. But it also might be that for the vast, I mean, I know you know people, <laughs> right? So that should not be the first words out of your mouth. But you work in a town where you don't have giant national architecture firms like Dallas has. You don't, you don't uh, okay. have, you don't have the mother office of like Ginsler and Perkins and Will and HOK and HKS because they're here. I know they're here. I know. Right. So I go right there. I'm, we're talking about how many 8,000 employees, 9,000 yeah. employees. Yeah. Right. So my but experience is people that work there that I know. I know. Didn't I just say that <laughs> you can't say, oh, I know people. I know, you know, people. I'm just saying if I go an event at my local AIA. I have the percentage of people that I run into that started at a big firm and stayed is higher because there's more of those people. More of those people there. Sure. That's sure. right. Right. You're in a, you're in a small market and it kind of suggests that the firms that, you, that not the people, you know, the people you bump into at the grocery store are coming from that same market. I guess. Yes. That that's my contention just from a percentage standpoint. Okay. Right. So the number of people that I know that started a big firm and stay there because that's what's nurtured them and that's how they've kind of shaped their minds is incredibly high. I mean, it's not a little bit higher in my experience. Hmm. It's profoundly higher. Hmm. So, And I guess I mean, I'm basing that, me, my opinion or uh, perspective is based on the students that I know. 
and the students that come through my office and the students that I now have seen leave school and go work. Not like, not my peers. Yeah, but we're not talking about sense, students but, though. I mean, they have to be out because as a student, I know. I know the people that go between big and small as I like, know. I'm as, talking about graduated students, people in the professional world. And you know, and you've kept in close enough contact that, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm in this job and that job and this job. Mm-hmm. Cause I actually got an email from one of your employees. Yeah. I got five of them from him in the last 24 hours. <laughs> right. And you know, he left the profession altogether. Yeah. You know, I know. I have several of those that did that. Yeah. Yeah. Moved into construction. Yeah. Which, you know, that's that's a good marketplace for a lot of architects. Well, that was an economic factor more than anything when they got out of school. Well, okay. So let's talk about that. What are yeah. some of the things that can impact the sort of first job that somebody can get? I know that I've written down a couple here on my notes. The first one, let's talk economy because we just brought that up. Yeah. Well, I mean, a good economy, bad economy, all those things, availability of jobs really in a way, it determines where you end up for your first job because you may be like, I'm going to do this, but they're not hiring. And right. you, you get out of school, you need a job or you want a job. You probably need a job. You got student loans and whatnot, or you know, you just want to make some money. Uh, so that's it. To me, that's the, it is a factor that can impact where you're at. Is that, it, is that how you found your job? Um, or no. was that, or was that your dream job? No, it was geography is how I found my job. Yeah, well, it's, which is also w- one of the things on the list here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that when I got out of school, the economy was terrible. Yeah. And I took the job that I did because my mom was a school teacher and one of her teacher buddies at the school where she taught, they were working with an architect and knew that he needed help. And that's how I got my first interview. So nepotism in a way is the... <laughs> nepotism had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Just flat out, my mom helped me get that job. Yeah. But that's that. My mom didn't help me get my first job. Yeah. But I just, I ended up where I was mainly because of geography. Because I had moved back because my wife had gotten a job in that location. So that's where I had to get a job. So it was sort of that thing. My interview, just for the record, my interview lasted like 12 minutes. (laughs) It was at a restaurant where the question was like, so tell me about yourself. And then he started to eat. Like inhaled all his food, and I'm like, uh, well, I graduated from the University of Texas down in Austin, and he's like wiping off his lips, and he's like, okay, great. Uh, when can you start? <laughs> Highly selective process. It was there. you're the winner. You're the breadwinner, Bob. Yeah, and it, <laughs> he gave me a list of places to go look at. Because this is what we do: go take a look at it and tell me if you're interested. And I'm like, I need a job. I'm interested. <laughs> I want some money and a paycheck. Yeah. I mean, I didn't tell him that's what it was. Sure. And I actually went to, and, and it was a lot of retail environments at the time. And mm. There were a lot of ladies stores. So I just like drove by the outside of them. <laughs> I was like, well, it's a I'm, job. I'm not going to go in there and yeah. peruse looking like a pervert. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's, that's how economy geography can also figure it into it. I came back here because it's where I grew up. Yeah. And well, I mean, in, the economy had, Dallas. A, had an impact on mine as well because in that small economy that I was in, the small region, market, whatever, uh, I had to take a job that was offered. Yeah. I didn't get 15 offers. I got, you know, two. Yeah. <laughs> so the economy, and the economy at that time wasn't great either. I mean, really, it was still pretty, I mean, it wasn't as horrible as it has been in between, but it still wasn't great. It wasn't like you could just get a job wherever you wanted to. Let's look at market sector as our next one, because where you get hired and the type of work that they do and how that, like, for instance, let's say I know colleges like the one you teach out Texas yeah. A&M, they have specialty certificates. So I can go down there and I can get my degree in architecture, but with a specialization in healthcare. Yeah. And that presumes yeah. upon graduating, I'm going to go to the healthcare, healthcare market sector. Yeah, sure. Now that didn't exist when I got out of school. Well, it didn't exist when I got, was there either. It's a newer thing. Yeah. So, so, so for some people, it might be they come out of school and they're thinking, well, what what am I going to do? What kind of work do I want to do? Do I, I need a job and sure. big firm is hiring right now. So I get hired by them. And next thing you know, I do hospitality work because that's the people that hired me out of school. Yeah. And that's the trajectory that your career goes down. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I can see being in that position, right? Where you don't choose a market sector, but... It also could be that you don't, you find out you don't want to do hospitality anymore and you, sure. you flip flop. My only thing, like for me, my first job was like, I didn't really want to do residential work. 
Yeah. I've never been overly interested in residential work, like doing that for a living. But I think it's probably because of my exposure to what that meant, which was not great when I was younger or in my college years, right? Sure. I mean, if I'd have gotten exposed to somebody doing super high-end residential work, I might have changed my mind, but I wasn't, right? So yeah, uh, I didn't want to do any of that. Well, I mean, just because this episode could be really long if every time I give you an example, you say, well, that's not always the case. I, I don't think that we can say, because of course it's not always the case. Sure. We know that we're not talking in absolutes, right? Okay. We should get that up. But for instance, just by the fact that you're at the same firm, which is now your firm as your first job, kind of supports my whole point on this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right? You're in like, a way. You're in like, a way. I, I would have done anything except for, uh, uh, you know, single family residential. I went to this place because that's where my wife moved to. I got this job because it was one of that was offered to me. And that's my whole career. You are the, thus far. You're the, thus far. Of course. But we're not we're not looking into glass balls here. <laughs> you're such a child. <laughs> right? You're the poster child for my argument for this entire show. In a way. And you yeah. I think I mean, maybe you're feeling defensive because like you, you haven't branched out. No, I'm not. I mean, of course I know you could do something else in the future. Yeah. Of I, course you I, could. I plan to. I could do lots of things in the future yeah, too. That's fine. I could walk into the kitchen in the future. <laughs> it's totally up to me. I know. It's fine. All right. Okay. So, so we've talked about economy. We talked about market sector. I don't size of the firm, right? I mean, that kind of those, it's kind of like an AB with market sector. Cause you can't be like a, a little small firm and do arenas. Uh, well, okay. I don't know that many like four people firms that are designing the new, this is true. You know, this sports arena. Yeah, the new Dallas Cowboy Stadium or whatever. It's yeah, true. Yeah. That doesn't happen. No. Um, I also know that if you work in a great big giant firm, you're probably not doing, you know. No, that's not really true. I was going to say, you're not really built or set up to take on small projects. No, they you, do that all the time. They do it, but you know what? All the people I know. Because I compete with them all the time. No, because you don't do the kind of small projects I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, oh, I need a trash enclosure behind oh. the school. Well, I'm sure I'm, they, I'm do, saying, they do that too, I'm saying I'm a big giant firm and somebody goes, hey, I want to design a lake house. And they're like, we don't really do residential work. But it's a big client, so they take it on. Yeah. And right. they either do it because. That other client, they're doing some other sort of work. Because the, that, the yeah. other guy's going, hey, you know, I need a little scratch my back, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Well, yeah, but you're already doing my multi-million dollar commercial facility or whatever. My hospitality I'm center in the Bahamas. I'm a I need you to do this. Yeah. 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 So, so size of the firm and market sector is somehow related. A little bit but, related for sure. But when you come out, I mean, I have a guy in my office. He has a certificate in, in uh, healthcare, healthcare facilities yeah. and we don't do that kind of work. Yeah. Right. So clearly people move in and out of these things. Yeah. But um, that was because he didn't like his first job doing that. Right. Yeah. Cause he went, he's like, I, I don't, I don't, get enough out of doing this to feed the part of my soul that I need to pay yeah. attention to. And I think that's, that's the truth of your first job. It, you, you figure it out and it does, it will affect your overall trajectory. Yeah. But okay. not in the sense of this is where you're going to stay. It's forever. not one and done. Yeah. You're not like your first job is not going to doom you. No, but it, I, I, the, the whole point of this is really, it, it is going to fundamentally, it's going to either make you embrace something or react and, in, in a way that you're like, that ain't it. And you're going to go almost the other way. Yeah. It's, it's like a moment of, of binaries, right? It's either all in or all out on something for the most part. Yeah. You know, you know, you're talking about the guy who did parking lots and then ditched and got a business degree. There was a, there was a young woman in my office that came back to get her master's degree and worked for me. And she had worked for a really large firm and she was getting out of architecture because she hated working there. And after working with, for me for about a year in my office, she was like, I really wish I would have had a different experience in my first job and I wouldn't have been leaving the profession. So yeah. now she does marketing and stuff. She got her master's degree in marketing, but, and she does marketing for AEC. I think it's a construction company now, but like, she was like, if I, this would have been my first job, I would have been, I would be getting my master's degree in architecture instead of something else. Yeah. So, I mean, it does kind of things do happen. I think it does. And if, and if your first experience is terrible and, and actually, you know what? I don't know if I can say this is unique to arc the field of architecture. I think it's probably true in a great many industries, but I think when you have a profession like 
architecture where people associate a part of who they are with what they do. And either you have that moment was you either have that moment where you realize I clearly don't understand myself. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to love this and it turns out I hate it, you know, which is a different type of crisis than I thought I'd be good at this and I'm not. Well, yeah, that's a different thing, different thing altogether. But there's these moments when you go, Oh my gosh, this is bad. Yeah. Right. And you might, like I'm a big advocate of changing a lot of jobs. If the, if the economy bears you out going someplace and working for one or two years, three years max, and then go get another job and do, I'm all for people doing that for like the first 10 years of their career. Uh, yeah. I, I'm all for it. I don't know about 10 whole years, but yeah. I'm, I'm all, all for, I'm it for, for a few. 10 whole half years. I don't know. 10 partial years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe 10, maybe it's six years. And you have like a couple, like one or two, a couple twos and a three. Well, nobody needs to be like you and have had, what, 11 jobs in your first 10 years or whatever. It wasn't that many. But I did. I was the person that went from small to medium to large back to small, right? I mean, I kind of went and I I feel like that's what qualifies me to kind of talk a little bit about these different size firms because I I spent time in them. And I will say that the person I am at the moment when I was at that firm has jaded it. Like I was very aggressive, very opinionated. Now I'm tempered. I still have my opinions. I <laughs> wow. Well, I know I'm, you're I'm my you're floored my... by that now at this point. Well, I you can only imagine. Look, glad to meet you, younger days. I've seen you in your underwear, <laughs> right? So we have a different type of relationship as friends. This is true. Than I had in with the people I worked with at this large firm. Sure. Right. It's not the same kind of thing. I know. Now. I mean, so I'm obviously, if I, if I think a thought and I want to say it, I'm going to say it to you. Well, of course. Right. You Cause that's yeah. who we are. Yeah. But it, I don't, I don't have to say everything that comes into my brain. You learned, you room. learned not to do that. That's but right. at that point in your life, you didn't, you I was very, I was very combative. If yeah. someone said, don't do that. My first reaction was why? Tell me why not now. Yeah. And I'm like, and now I would, I would still say why, but I wouldn't say it like that. I'd say, okay, happy to do that. Let's walk through. Can you like, explain why, to me why? Yeah, can yeah. you explain it to me yeah. so that next time I can, you know, I won't make this mistake again. <laughs> Not like, why, bro? What? Yeah. You want to go? I'm like, let's do it. <laughs> Leg wrestle right now, you and me. So yeah. I would handle it differently. And sure. the experience would have been different. And who knows? Maybe I, I, now the way my temperament is, maybe a large firm would be perfect for me. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I tell, I, it's funny. I, I have students that ask me this all the time, big or small, big or small. And I kind of tell them about the differences and say, well, you kind of got to decide for yourself and you probably should try both in your first several years to see what works best for you. Yeah. If you can't, I mean, if you can, if you have that opportunity. Yeah. I say work big, work small, work different types of light commercial, heavy commercial hospitality. If you can, even though now it seems like you need to have a specialty or you're going to be just like drafting for those folks, but there's still something to be learned in that process. sure. Sure. Life of an architect will be back in just a moment. We're here with Andrew Wilson, commercial manager of Kingspan Insulation. Andrew is the commercial manager for Kingspan Insulation North America and specializes in high-performance insulation products. Originally from the UK, Andrew began his career with Kingspan seven years ago in technical support and continued to grow into the consultative sales role, helping architects and developers overcome building challenges by offering cost-effective solutions for their specifications. In his role as product manager, Andrew helped launch premium insulation products into North America, such as CoolTherm, Rigid Thermoset Phenolic Insulation, and OptumR Vacuum Insulation Panels. Kingspan cares. It's not just about selling products. We focus on net zero achievement and supplying sustainable products and track the whole performance from start to finish for our customers. So, Andrew, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. How are you liking the show so far? Yeah, so far so good. We've had some good traction, some good kind of conversations with architects specifiers. So, so far so good. Yeah. Not bad for the first day. Not bad for the first day. Of course. One of the products we're here to talk about today is the Cool Therm panels. Mm-hmm. So give me the high points. Let's talk about those. 
So cool firm, kind of the main three attractions uh, for the product is the firm efficiency, so the R value of the product. So it's one of the highest R values as you can as an installation, which helps, especially designers now with kind of changing of new building codes, uh, increasing thickness of insulation, challenging for designers. So with such a high R value of our product in comparison to others in the industry, it makes it a lot easier to design. Also, it reduces the thickness of the insulation. So it reduces the fasteners, the brackets, the windows, the doors, and also it's easier to meet code compliance, especially as a product. So another major point of CoolFem is the fiber performance has passed multiple very stringent fire tests some of the most extreme fire tests in the world and also it helps architects when they specify our product because they know it has approvals with these stringent tests so that's another huge benefit of using cool firm for architects also kind of the other last point is sustainability is very good when it comes to kind of green building lead credits also no harmful chemicals or flame retardants go into the insulation which makes it very good when it comes to sustainability helping architects get those lead points just a bit on kingspan in 2011 kingspan and embarked on turning every single one of our facilities worldwide net zero by 2020. Wow. This was huge for our company. You know, we have over 125 facilities worldwide. Oh, wow. And we're around probably 80% of the way there. And we've mostly done that by energy efficiency of going to our buildings and bringing them up to code, solar panels, wind energy. So that's kind of brought us along into this process. So I've kind of been driving in the US from an insulation point of view to help net zero. So we want to manufacture sustainable products in a very sustainable way. So so we want to have all facilities not having any carbon emissions coming off our factory facilities. You know, when we're trying to get greater R values, mm-hmm. kind of the simple way of looking at it is the thicker it gets, thicker it gets. the better it gets. Mm-hmm. But you had mentioned about getting a really good R value, but actually making the product thinner. That's correct. So recently we just launched a white paper on the real value of space. As you said, thicker the product, better the R value. That is great, but that is problematic as well because your walls are getting thicker, which means you're losing internal space in your buildings. You've got to look at the metro cities in this country, you know, New York, Boston, Chicago, every square foot is hugely valuable. So if we can use thinner insulation, it slimlines your walls, which gives you more internal space. That's leasable, sellable, rentable space. We're actually going to include a link to that at the bottom of today's blog post to where you can go and download. It's the real value of space. And I know that a lot of effort and time and research went into creating this white paper. Yes. Well, we've been working on this white paper for around 12 months now. We've done it all over Europe and the rest of the world. I believe we're over 90% of every single property or commercial building we looked at was a great return of investment. So we've looked at multiple different types of building constructions, different type of R-value requirements, and we're getting great returns of investment, which shows you how valuable this tool could be for owners or architects when they're designing. Well, the offer of Kingspan's Insulations White Paper, The Real Value of Space in Commercial Real Estate, It examines how selecting the right insulation product leads to more internal floor area and yields a strong return on investment for clients, which is what Andrew's talking about. The white paper is based on research by Curie and Brown, who completed a study of the impact of the thicknesses of various wall constructions on over 70,000 buildings, as well as 11 real market buildings in the cities of Boston, Chicago, and Washington, D.C. I'd like to thank Andrew for joining us today. And as we talked about Kingspan Insulation LLC, they're headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, and they are the leading manufacturer in energy efficiency and moisture management products, offering high-performance insulation, building wraps, and pre-insulated HVAC ductwork. From the foundation to the roof, wall constructions, and ductwork, Kingspan offers a variety of options. Optum R vacuum insulation panels, cool therm rigid thermoset phenolic insulation, Green Guard XBS insulation and the Kingspan Cool Duct pre-insulated ductwork system. Well, I'm glad you could come in and join us. Uh, I'm really excited about this white paper. I know that I'm going to download it. Yeah, me too. For and sure. I, I heard that it it's very substantive. That it's it's a big paper. There's a lot of information in there. There is. Uh, and what we're going to probably do is kind of break it down to kind of market-specific areas as well. So we can really focus if it's New York or Boston or Chicago, you know, because it is a big document. But there's definitely points that we can give in smaller doses to really educate certain market types. I feel like you need to do it now for the south somewhere. <laughs> All of those are northeastern areas, right? I wonder, I wonder what the, the same situation would be in the, you know, southern or part of the country of the U.S., right? It's a different, insulation has a different idea there. 
Yeah, we want to keep the hot out. Other places want, want to keep, keep the, the heat hot. in. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right? So. And it, it works both ways, and that's something we're trying to educate as well. You know, insulation works in, in the hot and in the cold. So, you know, hopefully one day it, it catches up and it, it's equal. Andrew, I appreciate you taking time to visit with us today. Thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Let's take a second or more and talk about how to succeed at that first job now that we've been through it and now that we're both in a position to where we can like we are doing right now talking about the things that we think would be of value to people about to start their first job well and we see people that are in their first job right i mean we're at the point now where we're i hire people yeah i would say we're sort of job. in charge of people who this is their first job well i mean i'll start one of the things that's on my list that i think is kind of important is to make the firm's problem your problem and everybody likes the person who helps make their life a little easier. I think that's true regardless of what we're talking about. Making the effort to say, I can take care of this and actually being able to take care of things. And that's always going to get you noticed as someone who can be counted on in a crisis or just like, I need to get something done. And I know that person always delivers for me. Solving these kinds of problems normally requires extra time, extra effort extra risk to a certain extent because you're probably doing things that maybe you don't have a lot of experience doing yet since it's your first job. But these are the only things that will legitimately get you to more responsibility. My additional point to that would be don't overpromise though. If you say you're going to do something, make sure that you do it, right? Don't just be the person that's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And then don't or yeah. don't get it done because then that's a problem. Well, that falls into the Know what you know and know what you don't know, which I know sounds kind of stupid because how can you know what you don't know, but you know, you don't know it. Right. So when someone says, I need you to do something, you need to, you being the person who's been charged with this task, not to just say, I can do anything and then go and cause a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, there's one thing between accepting additional responsibility and saying, I can figure this out. And I guess this kind of also ties back into the size firm that you're working at every firm I worked at that was little, I didn't have somebody I could go ask questions to. I mean, I, I did literally had to figure out almost everything for myself. I don't think that's a typical small firm experience. Well, it depends how small, but yeah. I mean, it wasn't, you know, if I got 20 things to do a day, I mean, maybe 17 of those, I just said, I'll do take care of this myself. And this is pre-internet folks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a little different. Sure. I also think this is a big one on my list. I know you have some on your list, but I think seeking out opportunities is an attitude that you need to put out there. Like people need to know that you're good to go, right? You're a yes person, not a, I think I can person. You yeah. Know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, to me, that's about attitude, right? It's just having the, uh, the proper attitude of that. You want to be at this place and you want to help the firm succeed. And that sort of ties back into your point one, right? About you kind of make it your own thing or make make the firm's problems, problems your problems, problem. right? You get to take a personal um, stake in it, whether whether you feel that way or not, in a way. But like, make sure that it seems that way. So, sure. hey, man, I want to help solve the problems because that's for the betterment of the firm, and that helps me. Rising tide lifts all boats. One thing that I always did that it seemed few of my fellow architect coworkers did was to actually go talk to my employer for, and ask for responsibility. I do believe that the employee, I, don't, I mean, to this day, I learned this in my first job and it has stuck with me ever since, but the employee employer relationship works best for both of those folks when communication flows both ways. And while it's up to the employer, me now, to find meaningful work for the employee, that employee needs to take a little ownership of this process. And actually, if there's something that you want to do, you need to come tell me. Yeah, take some initiative. If yeah, if there's something you want to figure out or do, or yeah, hey, take initiative. Wanna, that's yeah, the that's seek out opportunities. Yeah, take the initiative to say, hey man, what about this? I think that's probably a lot easier in a small firm too, though, right? In, in a way, at least from my perspective. It's, well, I don't know. But in the small firm. You just did it. it. You didn't have to ask for it. it, it you didn't have a choice. That's, well, that's true. You I know, mean, the, he's leaving and he goes, uh, next Tuesday. 
and you're like, oh my God. I, uh, yeah. I, yeah. But I mean, but it, when I worked for a larger firm, this firm actually happened to be around 45 people at the time. I saw that I learned how to do, and this sounds crazy now because everyone learns it, but back then, like Photoshop was really expensive and not that many people had it. Had it was it, yeah, not it a skill set that everybody had. I agree. And so I stayed after work. I learned how to use it. On the company dime. Yeah, well, they, I mean, yeah, they didn't care. They I didn't know. care. And I next know. thing you know, guess what? I'm not doing construction drawings for the, these rollout projects that they did. I'm getting design opportunities because I learned how to do this, learn this programming. And I went, Hey, guess what? I know how to do this. Yeah. I can, I went, I can I, fake these renders or do these color things or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I, so I go seeking out those, taking the initiative, putting yourself out there to say, I want this. So what do I got to do to get it? And then actually go talk to your boss, talk to the people that are hired you so that they can become part of team Andrew, right? For your yeah. success. And that makes sense. I mean, I think that falls into one of my ideas about always trying to figure out what's going on that you can fill a void in a way, right? I mean, see a need, fill a need. Yeah. And you have to pay attention to do that. You have to be cognizant of what's happening in the office around you and what's going on and those kind of things. You can't just kind of come to work and... Put your headphones on. Head down. Grind grind it out. Yeah, draft parking lots all day and leave. Well, because you'll develop the relationship. They'll go, that guy's a grinder. Yeah. Which is, you know, some people, that's what they want. Great. That's the way to accomplish that. But if you're looking to move along. Yeah, vertically for sure. At least without a ceiling. We refer to that as that person has their head on a swivel. They're just always looking around. They're always kind of paying attention. They kind of know what everybody's up to. At some point, that's good. Yeah, there are things about it that aren't good. Yeah, at some point that becomes nonproductive, but it just depends on I think how, when you're, how much swiveling you're doing. Well, I think when you're right out of school, I don't think you can overswivel. No, I don't think so either. One of my pet peeves is, and since it's a small office, is I don't like headphones in my office because you miss out on conversations that are being had that you can learn sort of uh, through just secondary conversations and things like that. I mean, I know not everybody has that rule, but... For me, that's a big one because if I'm talking to the person that's sitting at the desk next to you and you happen to hear the things that I'm saying to them, I'm not going to have to say it again to you tomorrow or the next time you're working on a similar problem because you're already going to have heard me talk about it. I always kind of question whether or not that actually is true. I'm sure that you do. Not because I'm disagreeable, you bastard. It's because when we have those sorts of conversations, there's normally some type of I'm pointing at something. We're talking about something that this person has knowledge of. The person that's doing their job, that's sitting six feet away, that doesn't see what you're pointing at and doesn't have the knowledge that the, the person I'm talking to has that I'm correcting or amending, how much are they really getting out of that secondhand conversation? Well, it depends what you're talking about. I would agree. But, I mean, if it's about, oh, well, here's how the city likes for these things to be done or whatever, you're having a more generic conversation. Yes, no, I'm not saying move the flashing here and do this and do that because that's really more specific. I'm just talking about general sort of ideas or about, hey, well, you know, when you're designing a parking lot, think about this. Or when you're... When you put a roof on a building, don't let it leak. Yeah, well... That is solid. Yeah, I know. (laughs) All right. Anyway. Do you play music in your office, though? No. So it's either all you hear is clickety-clackety... No, no, no. Like, they can have... No. Like, the way my office typically is is that, you know, everybody has their own set of speakers. So they can play with something kind of low so that only they can hear it, but... Not headphones. Yeah. Or it sometimes it was one person got to choose the music. I mean, I'm in my office, so I'm listening to whatever I want, or I don't listen to anything. But there is typically some sort of soundtrack to either each person's desk or the entire office. But yeah, not not a put on your headphones and disconnect from everything. There's a social cue in our office. Most people don't wear headphones, but when somebody does put them on, that's the social cue for. I need you to not bother me. Yeah. And I could see that. I mean, that's probably, I would say if you're doing that, it would be like you're in grinder mode. I'm going to grind out stuff. I got a bunch of work to do. So I'm trying yeah. to drill down and focus and da, 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 da. But yeah. yeah. Cause we have a lot of foolish conversations. In our oh yeah. Office. We did too. Always. We actually looked up the size of an angler fish this afternoon. <laughs> yeah. That Cause that's good. the, you know, that's how we, I don't know how we got there. I, but I next hear you. you know, we were there. Yeah, I know. I mean, we, Game of Thrones talk or whatever. T- I mean, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so it happens. Yeah. But in my office, unfortunately, when those happen, it becomes like story time, and everyone kind of shuts down a little bit. Yeah, right. So we got. But I think that's the nature of a small office, though, right? I mean, that's kind of how it works in a way. You end up being 
family-ish or at least yeah. much more familiar than when you're hot desking with 500 other people and you may not sit next to the same person or your project team changes every month For or sure. whatever, right? If I was hot desking, I would never turn to someone and go, you know what my thoughts are on the leprechauns, right? <laughs> yeah. And which hey, is something you know how I, big an anglerfish is? I think I know. In my office, those conversations absolutely happen. I actually think that people might leave and they'll say, you know, the one thing, they may hate our office. I don't think anybody does. Let's say they do. The one thing they'll say is, man, we talked about some stuff. <laughs> and none of it's like crude or graphic or disgusting. Yeah. But just the stuff that, like if, if you're motivated, like Shrinky Dinks came up. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And of course that meant somebody had to play the jingle. <laughs> yeah. And by somebody, I mean me. You, a quick, quick Google search and you'll find all that stuff for sure. Okay. What about learning the business vertically? This is a tough one. I almost didn't write this down as a note because your first job, I mean, really, how much opportunity do you get to see? And if you're in a small firm, how vertical can it be? It's like you and four people. Yeah. It's really, it's like everyone's kind of at the same level. It seems like. Well, but not not when you first start, though. You might get to that level in two years, but you're not there when you start. Typically, I would say, no matter how small the firm is, there's still a. I'm talking about the people. I'm talking about curve. the people above you. Oh yeah, it can tend to be pretty flat. Yeah, because if you're going, all right, I'm the new guy. I'm the new person in the in the office. And I'm gonna look at these three other people. I want to learn the business vertically. There, no, there's no vertical. Well, there is. It's just real short. Yeah, which it's is a, like non-existent. It's a two rung ladder. They're not like a fifty rung ladder. Yeah, because you don't have small firms. You don't have like a project architect and a project manager, and then like a senior manager or managing partner. You have like me and one person. That's what it is. And we have to have conversations of you have to email both of us because <laughs> yeah. if he's not here, if I'm not here, somebody needs to know what it is. And if you go down like a rabbit hole with just one person. Yeah, it gets difficult. Things, things can go back. south. Yeah. I think learning the business vertically is important uh, because honestly, if you want to be the boss one day, you need to learn how to do the boss's job. And in order to positively impact other areas of the business, you have to step outside your comfort zone and learn new skills. It might mean you got to read a book or take a class. You know, maybe it's a business book. Maybe it's a business class. I don't know. My comment on that is also to try to watch how your superiors interact and do things. So in your first job, watch how wherever you're at, if you get to go do something or if you're even if it's your project manager comes talk to your team or talks to a different team, like watch how they act and how they behave and what they do because more likely than not, that's probably sort of the standard of how it should be done or how the company wants it done. You hope, right? I mean, unless they're just completely terrible, which well, in a big what, firm, that's possible, right? Yeah, but, but you, you, you made that point earlier, and that was you can still learn what not to do. Yeah, right. So I think as far as that learning the vertical structure is watch your superiors and see how they do things just as much as you can yeah. as far as learning how it works, but kind of see how they are and what they're successful at and what they're not and yeah, realize that probably that's the tone of the company, especially the higher up you get, right, if you're in a big firm. Well, let's pay attention to everybody's business, not yeah. just your own. Yeah. I'm going to say we should talk about advice. So the point to this is what advice would you give someone who is just about to start the first job? If you want to imagine it's you, Andrew, now going back to talk to 24-year-old Andrew, like what? <laughs> but I don't want it to be about based on your personal experience. But what would you want someone to know now that you've had one job and now you own that business? You know, I think it's really... It, I mean, I've kind of spoke to it most of this time we've been talking, right? Is about is pay attention to what's going on. The other thing I would say I find, and maybe this is for most of the people that come in my office that are young or it's their first job or whatever, don't be afraid to admit that you don't know something. Even though you poorly worded it earlier, I think your favorite question should be why. When you You're first saying started. I poorly worded it? Yeah. No, I didn't. You had why as a question come off as a confrontational thing, a combative Oh, no, that term. wasn't poorly worded. I, was, I did mean it combative. I know. And I'm saying, no, <laughs> don't do that, but ask why. You don't have to figure out everything on your own. Why should never be in an entire sentence. That's when no. it's a problem. Well, true. You're saying figure out the why by asking a question. Mine was why. Should I even bother? It was like a verbal punch. I know. I know. But I'm saying that you're, you should ask as many questions as possible to figure things out. Don't make the assumptions that you know what's going on or what the answers are or that the internet can give you the answers, the right answers that are 
that will help you in your profession. Now, and I'm talking about growth wise, not how do I do this and Revit or how do I do whatever, right? But more about the professional aspect of things and, and ask the questions about, well, why are we doing it this way? And why do we do it this way? Or, you know, why is it that that's the best approach to this problem? Sure. So that you can learn that stuff and absorb it in a different way. That would be my thing is ask questions and don't be afraid to ask questions. I think that's that's solid life advice, quite honestly. Well, I do what I can. (laughs) My piece of advice has been the same piece of advice. And I know you're like, oh, Bob, full of advice. I am full of advice. Yeah, I know. But if I had to say to first job people was do what you said you were going to do when you said you were going to do it. Hmm. That is some true life advice. For sure. Deliver. Always deliver. You know, this advice is really straightforward, even though it's not that easy to pull off, at least not as easy as most people think. And when I've had the opportunity to dole out this little kernel of advice to other people, I generally try to explain why I think it's so important. And it has everything to do with when you're making someone else's life easier. And if you manage to do that on a consistent basis, People will come to rely on you and know that you can be counted on. And eventually you move beyond being the first choice for that person and you become their only choice. It's a big deal. And you know, the caveat to that advice is if you can't follow through, you have to let somebody know the instant you realize it because taking accountability for your actions or inactions as it were, this has to do with allowing others to deal with the effects or ramifications of you not doing your part. Because now what they're doing, what they're spinning, is whatever problem that you just created for them. And your whole point of being there is you're supposed to be solving problems for that person, not creating problems for that person. So do what you say you're going to do, and do it when you said you were going to do it. And I'm telling you, the world is your oyster. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just a common, again, basic life advice on earning trust and being responsible for your own actions, right? Yeah, my, I mean, my first piece of advice isn't going to be always include flashing in a parapet. Yeah, no, I right. agree. It's generally going to be life advice. Sure. And so, and I agree with you. I think that's a hard, that's a hard thing to gain once you lose it too, right? Like if you're the person that delivers, the person delivers, and then you don't deliver, or if you just never deliver to start with, it's hard to earn that, or it takes longer to earn it once you've destroyed it, as opposed to just starting that way from the beginning. Yeah, You know, well, and just always being able to deliver. But I also agree with your, your point of, at least especially in the work environment, right, is if, I, if I'm not going to get it done, tell somebody the moment I find out I'm not going to be finished a week from now, right? Yeah. To get, that allows somebody else a week to prep. Don't think, oh, I'm going to get it done, I'm going to get it done, I'm going to get it done. And then the day it's due, be like, hey, man, I'm not going to get it done. Yeah. Because <laughs> right? now, now you've created, before, if you tell them a week before it's due, yeah. you have to deal with the disappointment. If you tell but them- But they can handle it, right? That, that other person can- hopefully handle it they can make some moves yeah but if you tell them when it's due that you can't do it now it's about delivery you didn't do it yeah now they've got a complete different problem they got to solve because now everyone's always answerable to somebody else for the most part i mean right well everybody it doesn't matter even the boss is answerable to the owners of the clients right i mean like so i'm answerable to the clients when they show up if i have somebody that doesn't do something i've got to take responsibility for my employees not getting it done i mean i think everybody is responsible to someone. You're right. This first job will affect how you think about architecture and professional practice. It's going to shape the way you think about design and how you actually put it into practice. And it will forge what sort of investment you have with this profession as an industry. I mean, I think that's what your first job is going to do to you. For sure. I think it shapes a lot about the way that you think about the profession. And you mentioned things like involvement and attitude about design. And, you know, if you work for a firm where I don't know. The waterproofing is the most important thing. Guess what? It's going to be that way for you for the rest of forever. You're going to learn to appreciate that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, but if it's like big gesture design stuff, that's kind of going to be how you approach it. I think it's very true that it shapes your attitude about the rest of your career. Yeah. Not, I mean, not a hundred percent of course, but it's all act and react. It doesn't mean that's what you're doing, but it means you're going to do it and you're going to say not for me. And you're going to take it in in a probably a wildly different Different direction for sure. So this is my favorite time of every episode. This particular time. I mean, not similar times. No, right now. Yeah, right this moment. Because in particular- The anticipation. Yeah, particularly today because we're doing a hypothetical. Would you rather live in a space station for the rest of your life or in a deep sea habitat? 
Straight up, that's it. That's a simple question, right? Yeah, I mean, I got some wrinkles I'm going to throw at you here, but we're just going to start with which one of those You've got some wrinkles as I, as I start saying what my choice is and you're going to throw me all the wrinkles? No. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm going to give you the rules after you try to answer. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So, and then I thought about it. I was thinking about it on the drive up, right? Here's what, what. So, the space station, is it just like in orbit or is it like, am I going to like Jupiter or something? Is it a... Like, what kind of space are we talking about? It's not deep space. It's it's this this galaxy space. Okay. Or under the ocean. Or the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, the bottom of the ocean. We'll say, like, bottom Marianas Trench. Trench. Yeah, sure. Man, I had a hard time because I think at a certain point, in both of those places, I'm going to feel overly claustrophobic. For sure. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I get that way on a plane every now and then when it's not moving. And so it was like, well, what's going to be better? The threat of getting sucked out into deep space or the threat of the water pressure just caving in the whole, it's like, the whole structure that I'm in. Which one of those is like, ugh. Yeah, which terrible agony. Agonizing manner, death is going to be worse. The way you die in either one of those circumstances is it, terrible. It's so no it, good. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I agree. It I also agree. doesn't matter. So, so it, goes to, it goes to other considerations. So then for me, I'm gonna, I, I decided it was going to be the bottom of the ocean. Really? Nobody chose that one in my office. The reason I chose it is because I... Th- I feel like, and this is going to be a weird thing, probably. I figure I might get to see some cool stuff like weird animals and fish or whatever, like crazy things like that. Or the Megalodon is going to swim by my window, right? So that's something I could get. I'm not going to get in outer space. I get like a comet or, you know, I get to see some cool stuff, right? But not like living things in a way. So that part of it is the okay, only so reason why I'm like, all right, there's some chance for me to see something other than all right, all right, the blackness it. of space. Okay. So that's why I chose that. I think you've chosen wrong. I don't and, doubt that. I always choose wrong in your opinion. I'm not shocked by so, that at all, so man. So here's it, the, the correct answer was outer space. <laughs> no, it's not. But it's fine. Hey, no, here's why. At the bottom of the Marianas Trench, you, you're not seeing anything. The only thing you're going to look out that window and see is, it, is if some fish is glowing and it's right outside your window. No. Most of the time in movies and stuff, there's always like lights. Mm, around that. the around the facility that you're in, there's a bunch of lights out so that there's stuff okay, you can I'll, see, right? I'll give you that. And I can go out for a deep sea walk. No, there's you can't go out on yeah, a deep uh-huh. sea walk. You ever seen the abyss, no. dude? It's exactly what I'm talking no, about. No, yeah, I don't think you do that. Yeah, you do. I don't think that's how that works. Yes, it is. And maybe in the movies. Well, I'm just saying I don't think you can go five miles down and then get out. Yeah, I think yeah, you can. You can get to die. Well, I don't know. Makes it they make it work. In the movies. Yeah, well. Okay, so me and every person I've asked. Yeah, who's the wrong answer, but sure. It was space because of the light. Like, we wanted light. We wanted to be able to look out the window and go, oh, there's Uranus. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like this hypothetical was really just set up for me to make that joke. Make that dumb joke, yeah. (laughs) But you can't can't see it. You can't. No, you wouldn't. I I could be floating around Earth, for that matter. I didn't say you had to be around Pluto. you're, You're orbiting something. I know. But if you're orbiting Earth, you're not going to see Uranus. I'm going to see Earth. I'm going to see Sun. I'm going to see the sun rise over Earth. I'm going to look out my window and see majestic beauty. You're going to look out your window and see eight feet of nothing. There's it's nothing. That's fine. Sand. But at some point, I'll see something. And it'll be, more... it'll be right before you die. No, 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 no. It's when not. you see the megalodon. That's fine. It doesn't matter. Coming for I, I, But again, that was my, I bounced around between those things as well. Like, cause I'm like, yeah, okay. So there's light, but it's not like sunlight light. I mean, yes, but not the same as being on earth. You see like. I, I'm telling you, you it, there is no sunlight that far down. I know there's not. All you I'm need not, is I mean, artificial light. I mean, in the space station. Yeah. I'm getting natural. No, you're not. Sun. No, I, you're not. No, I, you're not. I absolutely am. No you're, no, you're not. It's different. It's not the same as being on Earth and getting sunlight. It's a different thing. You're never going to feel the heat of the sun, the no. warmth of the sun. No, you're correct. You're just going to see a light ball, just like I would see a light ball sitting at the bottom of the ocean. So you're saying the majestic light quality emitted by our sun is the same as your T400 no, light no, bulb? No, but I'm saying, you know what? I could just pull it up on my computer at the bottom of the ocean <laughs> and see the exact same thing that you're going to see every day because there's no difference in a way. No, I don't agree with that. I know that you don't. I'm, I'm not saying you... I'm so not, you I didn't I, expect you to. So you didn't have any concerns about, well, in both locations, I'm going to kill myself because there's nobody else there. 
You didn't say there's nobody else there. I didn't say anybody else was there. Well, you, but you didn't say nobody else was. There's nobody else there. Well, either way, then I'm going to kill myself because there's nobody there. Yeah. I don't think either of these are really good options, to be quite honest. So I if think... Because I, I, if it would have been a traveling like space station and I was going somewhere, I'd have done it. See, I'd have picked that one because you get to see stuff that nobody... I mean, all new, right? At some point, the sunrise is going to be just as boring as it is to me right now. Oh, my that I see every day when it comes over the earth every day. Oh, uh, okay. You're, you're going right. to miss it when you don't have it down uh, at the bottom of the that's ocean. That's fine. I'm going to die soon because the water pressure and the megalodon. And I think at that, it all works out. And I think that you can't consume oxygen down at that level. You have to have some combination of like helium and oxygen so you don't explode just by breathing. Well, now you're just making stuff I'm up. not making that up. Well, but you're making up the scenario of me living down there. So then all that, all those problems are solved. So you would. He would have a high helium voice. It doesn't matter. I'm not talking to anybody because there's nobody there. You're talking to Wilson. You're going to animate that chair. (laughs) We've already already had that conversation. But it doesn't matter. Again, I think both of these are terrible choices. Well, okay. What if I gave you the option? You could be down in the dankest hole of death under the sea by yourself. Or you and a buddy up in the space station. Yeah, I don't know. That's a hard one too, though. I feel like at some point, who matter who they were, I might want to kill them. They probably want to kill you too. Yeah, exactly. So you both be going but, space crazy. But I would probably, t- if there was another person, I would still take. I would take space. Yes. Yeah. Or if it was flip flopped and it was me in space by myself, or down in the ocean with someone else, I'd take the ocean. I'd always take someone else, just because that's going to help. Else. I mean, yeah. well, even no, if, you, if you're no, angry, if you, you fight just, with somebody, it's still better than like. No, you just get on the computer and watch a TV. Yeah, you can look at the sun on the TV. You're <laughs> saying it's the same thing. You can just like watch a movie, and you have like you know the cast of Friends. Is with no, you. no, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. I said the the ability to view the sunrise and the ability to view it out the window on my space station. Eventually, at some point, will be very similar. Yes, the first time or the first ten times you've you seen, see it, you've seen pictures from space. It's right? gonna be awesome. Yeah. But then after that, it's going to be boring. You have nothing down there at the bottom of the ocean. At some point, you're not going to have anything. And I could probably eat as much as I wanted in space, and I'd never get tired. What is that? Because I'm weightless. (laughs) That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm like, I'm going to eat my 12th MRE of this hour. Exactly, right. And then I'm going to float And I'm going to be down at the bottom of the ocean eating all the fresh sushi I can manage. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna. I'm gonna have a spot where they just I just suck them into the sea station. Your sea station. <laughs> this is like Andrews graffitied on the side. Oh yeah, there'd be graffiti everywhere. Because what else am I gonna do? Uh, you're gonna be bored. That's what well, it's gonna be. Both of those situations, you're gonna be bored. Don't you think that like the the extra kind of bit of being weightless would be fun for a while? Yeah, you don't got be, that down at the bottom of the issue. You'd probably wait. I don't know if you maybe weigh more. You heavier down there? Yeah. All right. So I don't know that. It's not true. I, I train know. myself to try to jump. Today I'm going to actually jump, right? Because I can't. <laughs> Five miles down. I think the bit of like being able to throw your food in the air and then dive vomit in space, I'd be so much more entertained in space than I would at the bottom of the ocean. I guess. Walk around like a schlub. Nothing, no views out the window. I guess. I feel at some point they're both going to be horrible. And to me, that's probably... So you're choosing the one that gets you there fastest. A month or maybe two. Maybe I, I mean, it'd be, let me be generous and give it six months before I'm bored with either one of those places and things, right? I think I'd last so, longer in space, though. Even if I do subscribe to the premise that I'm going to be bored in either scenario, I think I would become more bored more quickly at the bottom of the ocean. I mean, it's possible. It's possible. I'm, I won't dispute that point. What if I said that you could, you could have access to youtube well then it doesn't matter at all you're like oh my god i'm in whatever <laughs> i don't care where i'm at <laughs> the, the bottom of the ocean is better because it's a dark room and i don't have any ambient light bothering me you're like i can project it anywhere <laughs> it's the greatest i can project it into the ocean <laughs> okay i'm gonna call that a wrap thank you for being with us today for episode 26 first jobs If you liked today's episode, you can find it in your heart. Please take the next 30 seconds and head on over to iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast so you can get fresh new episodes automatically downloaded to your podcast player of choice. While you're there, but only for feeling generous, please leave us some feedback as we'd really like to hear your thoughts on the show and a five-star, this is my first job rating. If iTunes isn't your player of choice, we're also available on Google Play, TunedIn, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, and a bunch of other platforms. 
They're all free, and all you have to do is hit the subscribe button on your podcast listening app of choice. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this episode. Also, be sure to stick around to the very end, and we'll reward you with our version of a blooper reel. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. <laughs> I want to say that again, because I went, this is life. You always a, do, though. I know, but I, try, I don't want to. I know, but you're, it's always <laughs> your voice. I always like that on the intro. It's always so like, this is life of an architect. I know, but it's better than, my name's Andrew. No, I, I know it is. Come to the thing. I know it is. Dude, I agree, but it's just funny. I like dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone ready? Get ready, everybody. We're about to do this. All right. Well, we should just make sure we have hypotheticals every time we have a guest. We should. Which we should have more guests. Because I love it. Yeah, I know. Season two, we'll have more guests. We're working on it. We have some more guests coming up this year, actually. Yeah, I know. We're working on it. I just don't want that many people in my bedroom. I know. <laughs> also, be sure to stick around at the very end, and we'll reward you with our version <laughs> of Blooper Reel. Crap. Thanks so much for tuning in. <laughs> see you, everybody. Take it easy. I don't even remember now. Did you ever see the movie Sphere? Sphere. Which one is that? That's the one where there's a sphere in it. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs>